So as we uh, continue to sort of emerge out of this two-year-long cocoon of isolation, uh, one of the questions that people all have been asking or saying is, uh, you know, issues of, of normal. I just want to get back to normal. I, I can't wait to find my new normal. Uh, and the question kind of comes up is, is really, what is normal anyway? Um, or kind of more pointedly is, what should our normal be? And it's kind of a question that keeps coming up and, uh, as we are slowly but surely kind of coming back and things are coming back online. It's becoming more and more safe to gather uh, as we move through this. It's a question we've been asking as a church, especially as a church staff, is, is you know, what does this look like going forward? And uh, for that, I, I, we kind of had to go back to sort of where we really began. And this question of is, how does it that somebody develops and grows and has a loving relationship with God that will last for all eternity? You know, what, is, what, is, what are the essential elements to that? Uh, and the answer to that question is actually sort of what we founded our church on. Uh, and it goes back to when Jesus was asked this question, what's the most essential thing, Jesus? And he says, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then without even being asked, he goes, well, there's one more thing there too. And also to love your neighbor as you love yourself. For everything you've ever read in the scriptures, for all the law and the prophets, everything in the entire scriptures all flows out of these two. In other words, what he's saying is, if you take every commandment in scripture, every story that you find in scripture, they all flow out of these two things about loving God and loving others. That's why we say every week, this life really is about nothing more than having a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you'll last for all eternity. So the question is, is what do we do as a church to help people facilitate that? Or what do we do as a church to help people grow in a loving relationship that will last for all eternity? And I came out of a church background where it seemed like as if since churches hadn't really focused in on this question very well, it was almost like this scatter approach where they just went, oh, do this, oh, and do this, oh, and do this, oh, and do this, and do this, and do this. And I remember I was at one church where it got to the point where to be like considered a good member in good standing and faithful, they wanted you there like six days a week. And there was a whole list of like church covenants. And I'm looking over this going, this is just too much. I remember even asking my pastor one time, I, I, did, I had something I needed. He goes, well, if you'll just start coming on Tuesday, I'm like, coming on Tuesday? I'm already here Sunday morning. I'm here Sunday night. I'm, doing, I'm leading a group on Monday night. I'm doing a youth group thing with you on Wednesday night. And then I'm coaching upward on Thursday. And then I have games on Saturday. But there's a night I'm missing and I got to be here that night too? It was just too much. And so in de developing on a church, we asked the question of is, what is it that well, I would look to you and say, these are things to do? Uh, the other verse that was guiding us in answering that question was, there's a passage that comes up again and again in the Old Testament, or at least a, a phrase that's said of someone. I know it's said of Caleb, it's also said of Hezekiah, and the concept of following God wholeheartedly. And it's it said of Caleb that, it, that, that he's followed God wholeheartedly. Uh, and Hezekiah, it, or about Hezekiah, it says this in 2 Chronicles 31, 21. It says, in everything he undertook in the service of God's temple and obedience to the law of command and his commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and that is why he prospered. Uh, and I just, that, that concept of wholeheartedly. Now, if you don't realize that our, our logo is actually these four interlocking hearts. Most, most people don't realize it until it's pointed out to them. People are always like, oh, is your like that atomic symbol church? Is that where you go? Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it's four interlocking hearts. And I know most churches use the cross as a, as a primary symbol. Um, to me, I, I've always felt like the heart is also should be one of the primary symbols because it's where Jesus says to love the Lord your God by your heart, soul, and mine. And my relationship with God isn't just about my salvation. Uh, rather, it's about my love for God and the salvation that he offered me is out of his love for me. Uh, and so to me, they, they all interact in there. 
And when it talked about what does it mean to really love God with all of your heart, we, we broke it down just to four simple things. One is that we would have a loving relationship with God. That's primarily expressed uh, in our time of worship together. In other words, the primary th- way that we do that and develop and grow that uh, is through our time we spend together here on Sunday mornings. So we'll be talking a little bit more of that this morning. That's our heart going up. There's then two hearts going to either side. One is about loving others uh, who are tracking with us and also pursuing after God. Uh, we can do that primarily through our small group ministries and other groups that we have. Uh, but then we also have another heart, which is where we're loving people who may not be anything like us. Uh, we may not have anything in common with them. You know, it's, our, it's our call to love the world, and so we serve, whether that be here within these walls or throughout the world. And right now you all are feeding over 100 children in Nicaragua, and you have been doing that for years, uh, and other opportunities we have around the world. Then lastly, there's a heart going down, which reminds us that we need to take personal responsibility for our own holiness, uh, that you need to love yourself enough to pursue a holy life for yourself. So we'll be talking about those over the next couple of weeks. But I first want to focus on this issue of worship and coming together for worship. That's been a, a question we've all had to answer over the past couple of years, right? Uh, I, I, it's something I've been wrestling with ever since when they first came with the first round of lockdowns. Churches were not on the list of essential activities. Liquor stores were, churches weren't, and I got to admit, it was sort of hard to sort of comprehend that or sort of wrestle with that and, and you know, what do we do? You know, do you fight against that? Do you, where do you go with that? And so as a church, we said, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll shut down for two weeks. And so we shut down for the, the six weeks, which was the two weeks required uh, there at the beginning. And, you know, we moved everything over to online. And, and that came up with, with other questions that come up. And that is, um, to what extent is everything online the same or better or worse than regular things, right? And so these are questions we all wrestled with, and, and it, it, I'm sure everybody in this room at some point over the past couple of years uh, has done something either with Zoom or a FaceTime or something because you couldn't meet in person. And let's face it, there were some things you liked better, right? Like you didn't have to get dressed from the waist down, you know, like PJs kind of thing, that you, you know, just as long as you look presentable, you know that. You could multitask without your boss knowing, right? You could be watching TV, they have no idea what's on, you know, on the other side of your screen. There's a lot of nice little convenience things. I'll tell you one thing that's been wonderful about online uh, meeting, and that is telehealth appointments. Oh my gosh, that's the most amazing thing ever. Especially when all you need is a checkup just so you can keep your prescription. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the doctor doesn't do anything at the appointment other than go, everything all good? Okay, all right, here's your script. And you're like... I wasted my whole day for that. So for me, it meant getting my daughter out of school, going down to Norfolk, meeting with the specialist, so they can basically chit-chat with me for five minutes and renew the, prescri- the prescription. You know how telehealth works? This is amazing. I did it just this past week. I've done it multiple times. She gets off the bus. I go upstairs. We open the computer and meet with a doctor. She asks me the same five questions, and then we say goodbye. And here's the thing. They're on time. Now, I'm not trying to knock anybody in the health profession. I just know you guys are busy. You all overworked. We get that. And that's why you have a room called the waiting room where we go and we wait for you. You know what actually happened at the telehealth meeting? Jules' boss was like five minutes late, so the doctor waited on me. That has never happened before ever in my entire life. The doctor was in the waiting room. It was weird. It was weird, crazy. Anyways, so that I've liked a lot better. There's other things about the whole tele or, or video conferencing thing that have just been an absolute farce, like... Uh, I'm at home when I hear this pounding upstairs. I'm like, what is that? And I go up there, it's my son trying to do PE via, via video. <laughs> and then later in the day, I, I hear the trombone going. I'm like, what's going on? And, 
Is there anything more ridiculous than middle school band via video <laughs> where everybody's all trying to play? No, it, does, it doesn't work. I mean, just wave the white flag. I mean, do something else. This self-study, I don't know. It just isn't, doesn't work at all. Um, you know, then, of course, we've tried it as a church. You know, we've done, and many of you all are right now joining us online right now. Can you all give a big hello to everybody online? Hey! Um, you know, I know many of you all are joining us from all over the country. Some of you all right here in Virginia Beach. Some of you all have immune compromise issues. I, I get that. And so uh, there's been wonderful things about doing church online, right? Didn't have to get the kids ready. You didn't have to get all dressed up if you got dressed up at all or you got dressed at all. I don't know. Um, multitasking was kind of nice. How many of you all made breakfast while you watched, right? It's okay if you, some of you I'm not raising my hand. I know we were all sitting there on the couch just as devoted as we always were. Singing was optional if you didn't want to sing. Nobody knew, right? You could tune in for the parts of the service you wanted, and you could tune out for the parts of the service you didn't. Some of y'all figured out that you can watch it later in the day, so you don't even have to go to church on time. You can watch it in the car. Uh, all the conveniences that were there about it. Um, other questions we've been asking during this period is, um, not, at, not talking about the, uh, the viral effectiveness of masks, but the social impact of masks. I don't know if we really know the answer to that. Uh, it's, it's been shown, you know, at least for some you know, so younger kids trying to learn to speak, it's been difficult for them to be able to formulate uh, vowel sounds and letter sounds, like th, you know, being able to see the teacher you know, say that with a th. I remember as, you know, as, as the teachers would, would be showing me, you'd see where the tongue's moving for all these different vowel sounds or consonant sounds that you would have. But what, what impact has it, on us, has it had on us socially the past couple of years? I don't know. These are some of those questions. There's a lot of these questions we don't really fully know the answer to. Um, and when they first, after we ended the first phase of lockdown, we moved to the second phase of lockdown. I don't know when that was, about oh, six, eight weeks or so afterwards. Um, churches were included with a list of, of where you could go. They were now considered essential enough that you could go in the second phase. And we had a lot of good relationships. We built with the news channels in town because of all the toilet paper that y'all had handed out, a lot of the food that y'all had handed out. Uh, it seems like the news was coming around quite a bit. And so they called me and asked me, they said, um, so what does it mean for you all to be able to meet as a church? In other words, and he says, well, let me ask more, more importantly, why is it necessary or why is it essential for you all to meet as a church? Now, I thought I could answer that easily. However, the news wants what? They want like a one-sentence soundbite, right? I, and I, I couldn't find, I struggled. and I'm, I'm not one of those people who can like really quickly in one sentence, very briefly explain something. Enter your pastor joke right here. Yes, that's why I go over sometimes. I'm not always good with sound bites. And I wanted to find a sound bite that was out of the Bible that I could communicate. And just the only thing that kept coming to mind was that quote from that movie, um, which is actually Bon Jovi, right? The no man is an island. Is that a Bon Jovi quote, anybody? Well, actually, sort of. He does quote it, and it's the opening line of his song, Santa Fe. I had to look it up to find out. Um, that great tune, Santa Fe, that we all love, right? Um, no, it actually comes from uh, John Donne. Actually, it was from back in, I don't know, like the 16, 15, 1600s. Uh, most of you all know at least another line from that same poem. Uh, the name of the poem is For Whom the Bells Told. Uh, and it goes like this. He says, No man is an island entire of itself. For every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If even a rock be washed away by the sea, Europe is less. As well as if any peninsula were, 
as well as any manner of your friends or mine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in all mankind. Therefore, never to sin to know for whom the bells told, it tolls for thee. And sort of just, if you don't know poetry or you want a little bit of the background, I always kind of need somebody to explain it to me, so I had to look up to get the full explanation of what this meant. Uh, what he's basically saying there is don't sin when, when they, when they, back in the day, in his time, when somebody would pass away in the community, the church bells would, would ring uh, for that. And if you were a person of means, you might send a servant over to the church to find out who's passed away. And what he's saying here is he says, you know, don't so flippantly just send somebody, oh, oh who died? Okay, that doesn't matter. It, it should be the kind of thing where, where you understand that every death impacts every one of us. And it should be important enough in understanding the importance of, of each soul and each life matters enough for you to go and find out for yourself. That's kind of what he was getting at, is the, the value of each life. Now, a little side note is anytime anything becomes famous, uh, like a quote or a poem or a song, very often it's because there's some truth in there that we know is, is deep within our soul. And so a couple of the truths out of this, number one is, of course, also that the value of every life. And, and that's been challenged over the past couple of years, hasn't it? as you see a, a death count scrolling on a 24-hour news channel, like it's just, yep, another one, another one, another one, how many today, how many today? And it almost became just a, we've almost been desensitized to death. And he's coming back and says, you know, every, every time somebody uh, passes away, that's, you know, think of the creativity and the love and the opportunity that is lost. You know, I, I, I thought about that a lot when, when, when Pastor Mike was in the hospital and thought of all that we would, lo- would lose, you know, with his, with his death if that had happened. You know, and that's really what's happened with each and every one of them. So he says, you know, you know anytime somebody passes, it's, it's a loss for all of us. But then the other line he mentions in there is, is that comes, comes out of it is because no man is an island. Now, that movie about a boy is really all about that question. Is anyone an island? In the very beginning of the movie, everybody you see in the final scene, they're all very isolated. They're living very isolated lives. And over the course of different events, as any movie would happen, they eventually realize the value of community because each one of them moves towards this gradual drift towards depression, which often happens the more you're isolated, and they begin to realize you need to be with others. And that's uh, that funny line in there. It's like, I used to want him to marry my mom when she was depressed, but you know, now that she's not, you know, he d- she didn't need him. But then she's like, no, I didn't mean that. He goes on to say, we need more than just a couple. We need, we need backup. You, is, you, not, even, not even one other is, is good enough. You need many others. And that's a truth. Uh, it's a truth not just, you know, from, you know, an old poem, but it's also a truth we find in Scripture. And what I was trying to communicate to the news reporter, they never put it on the news because I couldn't get it into a tight enough sound bite for them to use. Uh, what I was trying to communicate to them was the truth we find out of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, which is, uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how we must spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, it was such the, the perfect verse for the time because this verse is actually written during a time where the church was under persecution uh, and it was actually dangerous for them to be meeting together. Uh, not dangerous because they would catch a virus, but it was dangerous because the authorities, you know, if you're all in one place, it was easy for them to come and arrest uh, all the Christians together. And so there was a, a push uh, towards not meeting together because of the danger associated with it. And he says, even in light of the danger associated with you all meeting together, it's essential that you do. It is more important that you meet together than that you avoid the danger that could happen if you don't. In other words, it's more dangerous for you to, for to not meet together than it would be for you to meet together. Now, why would he say that? You know, why would God come out and say that? Um, there's a couple of reasons for it, but one of the things I, I, I wanna get to though is 
nothing you'll find in Scripture is done arbitrary. God doesn't do random. He doesn't do arbitrary. God never does things, well, I just, I just rather you, you did it. I like it when you do. Uh, he, he doesn't act like that. He doesn't operate like that. When, when he says do this, he's got a reason for it. Uh, it is in your best interest. It is in the community's best interest. There is a value to it. Even if you can't put your finger on it, even if you don't know what it is, he says, trust me, this is something you need to do. And so what he's saying is, it would be more dangerous for you to quit meeting together than for you to meet together, even given everything that's going on. Now, I want to just talk to our online community really quick. Um, first of all, it's sort of like one of my disclaimers. Anytime I'm talking about something, I've got to give the disclaimer because everybody's always asking, oh, what are you saying about me? Of course, right then, everything technologically goes off. I hope you guys are still there uh, and didn't juju up the whole insides. I don't know. Online's been dropping all morning. I don't know if it has something to do with this or not. But I want you to know this. I know several of y'all are meeting with us right now from New York, California, Texas, uh, all over the place, Florida. Um, and some of y'all are traveling right now. Some of y'all live in other places, and this is the only option you have. I know others of you are immune compromised, and so it you know, literally it's a life and death issue whether or not you are here or not here. And so I just want you to know, I, I understand that. Um, however, I also know there are several of you who are there just because you like staying in your PJs all morning. Um, and so I do want to talk to y'all, uh, whereas I understand for some of you this is not an option. For some of you, it is. Um, some of you, you just got so used to the convenience of it, um, it's just become part of your routine. And so I kind of want to talk to that. Like, why do we need to come back together. Um, uh, he says in there, he says, let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Uh, the idea of unswervingly is at some point you're going to get off track. Um, everybody has a natural, there, there's two principles here. One is everybody has a natural tendency to drift. And, and we drift away from what is good and we drift away from where we ought to be. We have a natural tendency to drift away from worshiping God. And, and the principle is this, when you drift away from worshiping God, you'll end up worshiping something else. When you drift away from worshiping God, you'll worship something else. Now, here's the thing. You won't call it worship, but it is. It's where you look to something to give you a sense of meaning, purpose, and value. And if you notice in the movie there, he says, you know, one of the issues I had as I was alone was I got to the point where I had no sense of meaning or purpose. Now, in his life, he tries to fill it with all different kinds of things, relationships and buying things, and nothing seems to fill you. It just always leaves him empty. Anything you look to, you, to for your sense of significance, purpose, meaning, or happiness eventually will leave you dry. It'll leave you with a sense of meaninglessness. When you don't worship God, you're going to end up worshiping something else. It, it happens. Second principle is this. All of the pain in your life can be di directly attributed to worshiping the wrong thing. All of the pain in your life can be directly attributed to worshiping the wrong thing. And I'm not talking about like an illness, sickness, pain. I'm talking about the life, heartache, emotional type of pain. All of the pains that you brought on yourself, the heart of it is because you've been worshiping the wrong things. You look to someone in a relationship to do what only God can do. You look to a job or a status to do what only God can do. You, you look to your family to do what only God can do. You look towards a buying or a purchase or a house or something to do what only God can do can do. And whenever you do that, you're setting yourself up for that pain. And that's why so often people's life pattern is they're coming to church, they're all involved, and then, I don't know, something happens, something comes up, and they, they miss a couple weeks, you know, baseball schedule comes up, or, you know, the kids have a travel thing going on, or then on my work, or, or pandemic, whatever, and we just, we, we, we're watching online. How many of you are watching online faithfully for the first couple weeks, and then it got kind of, eh, I don't know if I want to tune in, 
and then like I'll watch it later in the week, and then oh, I'll just skip that week, I'll just watch it next week. These little things just happen, and eventually we just drift away from it. And so often the cycle you hear is you drift away from it, then eventually you end up in a bad place, whether it be in your marriage, or just in your life, or in your own psyche, or spiritually, and then something snaps you back out, and how many times have I heard somebody walk into church and go, I've needed this. And that's just, in that breath, it is them saying, I started worshiping other things, I'm suffering the consequences for it, and I need to be back. So that's why they need to hold unswervingly. This is then to the hope that we profess. We need to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Um, Hope. Uh, Principle about hope is that hope fades. Uh, Hope is an emotional thing. Uh, In in scriptures, you'll you'll see faith and hope. Uh, These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Um, Faith is is intellectual side. This is what I believe to be true based on what I know to be true. And and I can go through reasons for belief, and that's the same thing you do with the scientific method, right? You have things that you know to be true, and so when there's an area of uncertainty out here of something you can't see or haven't seen before, you can take what you know to be true and then apply those principles to say, this is what I theorize will happen, or this is what I hypothesize will happen. That's a faith statement. Science is using a, a, the scientific method is nothing but a faith statement. And so I would say, based on what I know to be true about creation, based on what I know to be true about uh, how we relate to one another, based on what I know to be true about relationships and love, I believe firmly that there is a God. That's a faith statement based on what I know to be true. Hope, though, is more emotional. Uh, I, I don't always have a, a, because of this, this, and this, I have hope. Uh, ho- hope is, is, is much more on the emotional side of things. Um, and it fades, just like your emotions go up and down. Uh, they come and go. There, there's days where I'm full of hope, and there's days where I'm not full of hope. And I can't always give you a good explanation for it. Another principle about hope is that hope is nearly impossible to keep when you're alone. Hope is nearly impossible to maintain alone. It just is. Uh, it's really, really hard to maintain because we feed off other people's emotions. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like this. Um, my teams are not very good right now, okay? doesn't matter which sport, my teams are just not very good. I grew up in Florida. Uh, I like the Marlins, not very good. Uh, I like the Dolphins, not very good. Um, I sort of like the Heat and Magic a little. Neither one of them are worth, I mean, Heat, I guess they're, they're kind of on top, but does anybody really believe they have a chance? I don't know. I never do, even if they're good in the standings. Florida State, been a long struggle for us there. But here's the thing, have you ever watched your team alone and your team's down? Sometimes it's hard to hope that they're going to come back. However, when you're in the stadium with 70,000 raving fans and there's cheerleaders and there's songs, for some reason it's just a lot easier to hope. It's because you're feeding off the hope of somebody else in the crowd. There's somebody there who's fanatical enough and crazy enough to believe you could still come back and win this. And you feed off of that. It's a very different environment, though, if you're sitting at home with a fair-weathered fan, right? Everybody have somebody like that? Oh, yeah, we're never going to win with this coach. We need a better quarterback. Oh, happens every week. It's really hard listening to that and having hope that your team's going to come back, isn't it? Right? But I remember being at a stadium once when our team was down by four touchdowns, and it was just this sense, like there was pretty much everybody who didn't have hope left. That's the thing about stadiums, too. The fair-weathered fans, they're all gone at halftime, right? The only people who are still left in the third and fourth quarter if you're down are the true fans. 
the, the, the hopeless, or the, the hopeless romantic types, right? The ones who will hope against all hopes, hope against all odds. And I remember we were all sitting in the stands, we were like, we're going to win. Now, we were down 31 to 3. This wasn't a Patriots Falcons game, uh, it was actually a Florida Florida State game. And sure enough, Florida State scored four touchdowns in the fourth quarter and missed a game winning field goal at the very end to end in a tie. We then played in a bowl game and uh, kind of finished off the game. But it was just that moment of people that say, well, you didn't really think they were going to win, did you? It was like, yeah, you had to have been in the stadium to know. There was just something about the energy there that just made you hope. There's something about the energy of other people that gives you hope. When I was uh, dealing with the aftermath of, of my wife's passing, uh, I was struggling to, to try to not end up in this place of complete uh, depression. And one of the things my counselor had said to me, she said, Steve, you need to get out. And I was like, I, I, I can't right now. You have to understand, you ever been at that place where, you, where your stress level is so high, you can't take anything else? Like even the stress that comes with watching a TV show, you know how every plot has, you know, there's some trouble, there's some problem, whether it be a TV show or a movie, you know, there's something that went wrong and that everybody's got to fix. Even that little level of emotional attachment to that plot, I couldn't handle, right? I just so I quit watching TV. So she said to me, she said, Steve, you need to get out somewhere. I said, I don't, I don't want to get out. She says, well, let's find some places you can go where you don't have to have any personal contact with anybody. You can just be around people. I was like, what? what's the point of that? That seems ridiculous. She says, just trust me, do it. And so we came up with some things, like one of the things I did is I started going to a, a local gym. Uh, I had home equipment, which was just fine for me. Um, but she said, no, you just need to go somewhere where you can be around people. And I did. Um, and, and I did several things like that. I, I don't know what that did for me. I can just tell you, it pulled me out of it, just being around people. Uh, and I think part of it was just the fact that there's always these voices that whisper to you, you're the only one. You're all alone. You're the only one. And just being around other people is a shout that comes back that says, no, you're not. You're not the only one who needs to get in shape. Look around you, right? You're not the only one who's struggling with this. Look around you. And I just needed to be around other people. And so he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He says, because he who promises is faithful. Um, even though I don't have any evidence to tell me that anything's going to get any better, the only thing I have to trust is God's character. I would have despaired if I did not believe I would see the goodness of the Lord once again in my lifetime. That's Psalm 27, 13. And I held on to that passage. It, it, it's, it's hope that's based only in the character of God. I have no, there is nothing that has happened in my life that would ever indicate that anything's going to get any better. Right? I didn't have any faith that things were going to get any better. All I could do was have hope based on the character of God. So let us hold on to the hope that we have. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Um, uh, remember I, before I said people kind of drift? Um, this word spur, uh, it actually is exactly what you would think it is. It's like a cattle prod. He says, so we can poke each other. We can give each other a poke back in the direction they need to get. Uh, not always comfortable. One of the reasons why sometimes people avoid church is because they know they're doing things in their life they shouldn't be doing, and they don't want anybody poking them. They don't want anybody asking any questions. You ever notice that? The more sin takes over in your life, the more you avoid people that you know would poke you in the right direction. And so he says, you need to be here so you can, you can be poked. You need here so you can poke. 
Now, one of the one of the faulty questions that people ask is, why do I need to be there anyway? You know, w- what difference does it make if I'm there? It's a faulty question. First of all, you're thinking that the only thing that matters in the equation is you. Remember last week I said sometimes we have a hard time understanding why bad things happen in our life because we think the only reason that it could happen because it has something to do with my life. Maybe the reason why it happened is because of somebody else's life. You ever consider the fact that maybe the reason why you need to be here is so that you can spur and poke somebody else on? You might say, well, I don't even talk to anybody when I'm there. How am I doing that? All right. Just this morning, after I taught the message, I walked outside. I saw somebody that I used to see at the gym when I used to go to the gym. No comments. All right. I saw him. The first, and he's one of those people who are just like ridiculously in shape. I mean, like people you look at and they make you sick, just, but they, they, just looking at them convicts you. It's exactly what happened. I took one look at him and I was like, hey, how you doing? He goes, I remember seeing you at the gym. <laughs> now, he didn't mean anything by it. He was just recollecting a memory. You know what I heard? Hey, fatso. <laughs> right? Now, that was a poke, but I needed the poke. And the poke wouldn't have happened if I, if I, wasn't, if, if I was at home. Sometimes just being around somebody's a poke. Sometimes you'll walk in and you know you've got a bad marriage relationship right now and you'll see another couple and you'll go, man, I wish I had that. I wish he'd put his arm around me. I wish I wanted to be that close to him. I wish she looked at me like that. There's moments where it just it spurs you and pokes you just being around other people. Because of our sinful nature, we don't have a natural tendency to drift into things that are loving and good. And he says, may we spur one another, poke each other to be more loving and to do what is right, to do good things. Do you notice that? He says, let us spur one another towards love and good deeds. I need to be poked in that direction because I don't naturally do that. Uh, I need to be around people who will challenge me and say, hey, how are you doing this? What are you doing with this? Um, so we need to be spurred on. Um, there's another element to this spurring that comes in, and um, I love in Psalm 73, he says this. He says, uh, as for me, my foot had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let me back up. We tend to go towards and gravitate towards what is normal, right? No one of us want to be weird. We want to be normal. What I think is funny is that even people who are countercultural like who, who want to do their own thing, you notice how they all kind of end up doing the same thing? You with me on this? Like everybody wants to like, oh, I'm not going to conform to everybody else. Well, then how come you seem to conform to everybody else who's not conforming? Really? I mean, is there anybody who's really doing their own thing? Or is it all the people who are doing their own thing all look alike each other, right? It's just kind of a funny thing. So, we, so all of us have a gravitational drift towards what is normal. And there's a, some sense, that's why there's the crowd mentality. You know, people, why did you do it? Well, it's just a sort of a crowd thing, a crowd mentality. What happens is that when you do life all week long with people you work with or go to school with, you begin to think that acting that way is normal. That's just what people do. Uh, uh, listen, honey, all the guys go out for a couple beers before they come home. Uh, why do you give me grief about this? Everybody else bought one of these, hon. I don't know why you're all so upset at me for buying one. And so on and so on we go. When everybody else we're doing life with is doing things a certain way, we begin to think that that's normal. And there's the assumption that what is normal is good or even right. 
one of the things that happens when you come to church is once a week you're intentionally putting yourself around people who for them normal is in the direction of what truly is right or good. For the most part, we all have our issues, but you get the point. In other words, what he's saying here is, my foot had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foot. I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from all the common burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. What he's saying is, you know, I go to work, and it seems like the way everybody else is living seems to be working out just fine for them, so why am I even messing with trying to do what God wants me to do? And he says, I went down this pattern of thinking. You will develop a pattern of thinking that's in line with everybody that you do life with. Then he says this, he gets towards the end of the psalm, he says, until I entered the house of the Lord, and then I understood, and then I saw things clearly. There's something about coming to church that can reset you. Now, I have met God in a lot of places. I've met God in some of the oddest of places. You know, I've met God in some of the places you typically think, like, you know, out in the nature, mountaintop experiences, watching a sunset, uh, certain times driving in my car, just had those moments, you know, where you just have that moment where God's presence is close, Uh, maybe talking with a friend, there's been times just talking with somebody. Um, There's been some odd times where I've been, like, stuck under a house doing construction and just sort of had a moment with God. Um, So a lot of different places where I've met God and had an experience with God. However, Nothing compares, no other location compares with the number of times that I've met God in his house. There's not even a close second. The number of times that I felt God's presence here in this room in particular or in every other church that I've been in where I felt God speak to me. Uh, I I felt a a closeness or nearness to him that I haven't felt anywhere else. Uh, I've had a lot of amazing moments just here in this very room because there's something about the place of God that offers that opportunity. Uh, it's the same kind of almost sort of the same reason why uh, years ago we were trying to save money as a church instead of going to a conference. We're like, we can just download all the DVDs and watch them. You know, and the, first of all, we never watched all of them. Second of all, isn't there just something different about being at the conference versus just watching all the content? Because you know there's something beyond the content. Sometimes there's just the moment uh, where you're isolated and you're focused and you have that opportunity for an hour on a Sunday morning to focus in in a way you otherwise wouldn't. I mean, how many times do you sit still like you are right now, undistracted? Because it's not socially acceptable for you to get out your phone, right? Everybody looks at you funny, even if you're taking notes. I'm taking notes. I'm, taking, I'm looking up the scripture verse. No, you're not. You're texting. You're on Facebook. Put your phone away, right? People always say to me, I, it, it sets a bad example for you as the pastor to be on your phone right now. I, I'm looking up the Bible, Bible verse, right? What I'm saying is that most of you all, this is the most undistracted time you will have all week. And you're offering up God the opportunity to come in and speak to you unlike he has at any other time during the week, which is why you get spurred, which is why you get poked, which is why often you leave going out of here going with some sense of conviction that pushes you on towards love and good deeds. And then he says, he finishes it out with, and let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Uh, I don't want to get into end time stuff. Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, There is, in the scripture, it talks about how as God's final day of judgment on the earth comes, uh, natural disasters will increase, wars and rumors of wars will increase, uh, plagues and famines will increase. In other words, the closer you get to the end of time, the more bad stuff's going to be happening on a global scale. 
And which is why he says, you need to come together. It's all the more urgent that you come together to encourage one another. Why do you need to be encouraged? It's sort of the negative implication is because there's going to be a lot of discouragement that comes. Every one of us has gone through a period of discouragement over the past couple, past couple years, haven't we? We have these questions about your job or your future or what's going on or what life is going to be like. That's why he's looking at you saying it is more dangerous for you to be in isolation than it is for you to risk coming out and being together. Because the danger over here is not one that hits you instantly. It's not like where somebody's going to come and arrest you. That's what they were dealing with. Or for us, it's not like you're going to get sick all of a sudden. It's this slow, gradual drift away. And the problem is once you get so far away, sometimes you can't see the shore anymore. And many of you in this room have been in that place before where you just got so far away from God you didn't think you could ever get back. Some of you didn't even know that's what the issue was. It says that's why it's all the more important for you to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I wish I could have summarized all that up to the newsman in one good soundbite. The only thing that came out of my mouth is no man is an island. <laughs> you know, that thing John bon, John bon Jovi said. But the reality is, is let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Not to give up this habit of meeting together so we can hold on swervingly to the faith that we have and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Would you join me to close our time in prayer? Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able to come together. Let us never forget that church was your idea. This organization, this institution that we're a part of was something that you dreamed up. It was your vision. And you said, I will fuel it and power it by my Holy Spirit. And then whenever you are gathered together in my name, I will be there and present with you. That you will become the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you, Father, for developing and having the vision to know what it is that we would need to be encouraged, to be spurred. We might hold unswervingly to the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.